Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How many of you love Jesus today? I love that we start our Sundays with that question, and I love that we always respond with the excitement of knowing that we love Jesus. He's loved us first. Amen? Today, we're going to jump into our fifth part of our series, Dear Friend, Wisdom from the Letters of the Apostle John. And uh, I, I really am grateful uh, for how Pastor Nate has led us through these first four weeks of uh, looking at the first epistle of John. I love that we are committed to digging into the Word and, uh, and letting Scripture speak to us and, uh, and shine into our lives and transform our thinking and, and lead us into, to, so we can leave better than we came in today. Amen? And uh, today we got a good amount of Scripture that we're going to be covering. So everyone say to the person next to you, buckle up, grab your Bible. And uh, Pastor Nate would always ask, how many of you got your Bibles? Raise them in the air as you just don't care. If you got your digital version, you can do that as well. Don't lose your phone. Don't fling it at anyone. But uh, as we are looking at a lot of different Scripture today, I do want to encourage you to uh, uh, use the manual MN app. We've got the whole outline with all the different scripture portions that I'm going to be uh, reading from and quoting. They're already lined up for you there. Uh, and Pastor Allie will be helping me with some of the reading today. And uh, she just did a hosting. Can we get up for Pastor Allie today? So would you, Pastor Allie, uh, help me out as a narrator and read from 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. 1 John 4, 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God has God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. What a, I mean, we could preach a whole year from this text, right? There's so many good things that, that the Apostle John is bringing up. And I love uh, the way he writes and teaches. He always kind of circles back on themes. And so some of the, the concepts that he's been uh, preaching to us from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, the first half of chapter 4, are they're woven into all that. And now we're, we're continuing to build on that. And he's reminding us some great things. We know how much God loves us. That's one of the phrases that we see in here. How do we know how much God loves us? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? We know that he loves us, in, not in a stingy way, but in the most generous way possible. We know how much God loves us. Pastor Nate talked about the fact that that word know, that we know, is actually we have experienced the fact that God loves us. It also says that we trust his love. And trust is not immediate. Trust is not automatic. Trust cannot be taken for granted. Trust is built through knowing, through walking with someone. How many know that we can trust God? 
we can trust his love. Amen? Love that. John helps to point that out. It says, God is love. Okay? Now, careful here. Doesn't say love is God. And it seems like the day and age where we live, this has been flipped. And there is a, almost an idolatry of what love is. And it's been lifted up on a pedestal. And it's almost, almost worshipped beyond uh, who God is. God, in essence, is love. He's pure love. He's, he's, uh, he's faithful love. He's enduring love. He's consistent love. And it also says here that as we walk with God, our love becomes more perfect. I don't know how you can be more perfect, but it's, it's perfected is, is the thought, right? It's, it's, it's polished up. It's matured. It's grown in us as we walk with him. The best way for us to grow in our love for others, in our love for God, is for us to walk close to Jesus. Amen? And this is John writing. You remember that he uh, was one of the 12 disciples and he was nicknamed, uh, he was a twin, he was nicknamed, together with his brother, uh, the Sons of Thunder. And, uh, and it wasn't because they snored loud or, uh, or, or, you know, they were noisy, but it was because they were explosive. He was the one that was like, you know what, if the Samaritans don't want to host you when you're traveling and visit, let's just call fire down from heaven and show them who's boss, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you guys have no idea. You don't know what spirit you're of. We need to reach people. The Son of Man has come to save, not to condemn, not to punish people, but to give them hope. And uh, somewhere along the journey, John moves from being the son of thunder, that explosive, aggressive, maybe violent person, you know, that rough around the edges person. He, be he becomes the beloved disciple or the disciple of love, the apostle of love, the one of the ones that writes the most about God's love. Walking with Jesus will transform us. It will mature and perfect God's love in us. Amen? And uh, remember that when we're talking about love, you know, there's a lot of different ideas uh, that are floating in. Semantics are, it can be a big deal. Uh, it's not just a tomato-tomato kind of a scenario here. When we're talking about love, we got to think about what is God's definition of love? God's agape, perfect love, the love without a hook, as Pastor Nate talked about. Uh, and let's read from 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I've read this portion a lot of uh, wedding ceremonies, and, uh, and, it's, and it's great. It's a great example. How many of you are married and know that love, uh, you know, as it needs to get to the place where it's not impatient, where it's kind? where it's not trying to hog up all the, all the blankets at night. Uh, but it's not only for marriage. This is for anyone who follows Jesus. It, it's not boastful. It's humble. It seeks the best for others. And this is the love that God models to us. It's the love that he matures and grows within us. There's another great portion from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 38. Let's read that text. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, 
neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. How many are grateful for that? How many are grateful for God's love in our lives? Amen. And uh, that is a great moment to clap. I'm not going to pass that up. So one, two, three. Here we go. I don't just say, I just always, whenever there's someone that like, Claps a couple times in solidarity. We just all need to lean in, right? And, uh, and make it happen. So um, I love the fact that, that God is so clear about what it means to love. And we know not only the concept or the theory about love, we know his love. We trust his love because he has proven that this is the way that he loves us. And that his love is insistent. It's stubborn in a good way. It's relentless. It will not abandon us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. Even if you're not serving him, even if you're not walking with him, he loves you. And he will wait for you and he will, he will reach out to meet you where you're at and he will show you that patience, that love, that grace, that mercy that he's talking about here. And John is saying, when we walk with Jesus, inevitably, this love has an impact on us, on the way we relate to him and the way we relate to others. And it has an impact on our worldview too. The end of that initial text in 1 John 4 talks about the fact that when we realize that God loves us, that love fills us to the extent where there's no more room for fear inside of us. There's not this, this sense of anxiety and uncertainty and, uh, and a fear of punishment is what, what John speaks about specifically. Like, you know, if you have experienced faith connected to fear or built on fear, then you've experienced religion. You haven't experienced Jesus. Because Jesus is God's reflection. He is love made flesh. He is the person that brings hope and salvation into our lives, that brings life transformation. And, uh, and we all need to hear this because it's so common for us to get uh, wrapped up in our own concerns and worries and, uh, and, and, and anxieties and, and, and just paralyzed by the fears uh, of, the, of this world. It's not only the fear of judgment, it's all fear is expelled, repelled, cast out when God's love fills our life. I was looking at uh, just some definitions. Phobia is an uncontrollable, irrational, and persistent fear of a specific event, situation, or activity. Here's the top 10 phobias on a list that I found recently. Fear of social interaction. We're not going to do a show of hands, by the way, for this, right? Because some of you are like, ah, that's one of my fears, just raising my hand in public. Um, <laughs> or talking to my neighbor, right? Uh, Fear of social interactions, fear of public speaking, fear of failure, fear of death, fear of developing a disease, fear of spiders. Someone's are like, amen, fear of snakes, fear of driving, fear of enclosed spaces, fear of heights, fear of flying. There's all kinds of different fears that can be limiting, that can, that can paralyze us. And, uh, and I'm not saying that, that you, we don't need to work at these things. I'm saying that when... God's love fills our life, it impacts our perspective to the extent that we trust him so much 
that we're not steered or governed by fear anymore. We're not paralyzed by fear. We walk with confidence. We walk with purpose. We walk in acceptance. We walk with grace because we know that his love can never be, there's nothing that can separate us from his love. And that makes us free from fear. Perfect love and fear are incompatible. Don't give in to a life of fear. Don't, don't just accept and say, well, I'm just, I'm just a, a fearful person. That's not the life that God has called us to live. Trust God's love. We can trust him. We can believe him. We can trust his voice, his words. Allow God's love in you to expel the fears that you're wrestling with. Fear not is the most repeated command in the whole Bible. Did you know that? Now, I love this because God doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't ignore it. He knows that we wrestle with emotions. He knows that we, we can get stressed out, that we can worry. We can worry about finances. We can worry about health. We can worry about current sicknesses, about potential future sicknesses. We can worry about relationships. We can worry about the future. We can worry about the past. We, can, we are great at worrying and about being fearful. But God, whenever he finds us in that condition, comes up and he says, you know what? Fear not. Some have counted 365 verses in the Bible that address fear. And uh, there's different opinions about that. But that's kind of cool, right? Every single day, God says something about, hey, don't fear. You can trust me. I'm with you. I've got you. I'm walking with you. And beyond the amount of the times it's listed, what God says about fear is the most important 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. Everyone say power. power. Love. Everyone say love. love. And self-discipline. Everyone say self-discipline. I was wondering if you were going to say that last one. That's not a very popular, the last one, right? I love blaming others uh, for my lacks. And uh, this actually puts it back on me. I've got to own it myself. Look what it says in Psalm 34, 4. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. He freed me from all my fears. So I don't know what you're wrestling with today, what you're struggling with. I've been praying for you throughout this week. And I'm believing that today is a day where God is going to break the grip of fear in the lives of many people that are gathered here, the many that are joining online as well. Not because we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but because we trust his love. And when his love fills us, it leaves no more room for fear to dominate our thoughts or thinking. Amen? 1 John 4, 19, we'll continue reading. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Those who love God need to love their fellow believers. Amen. Now, Love, you can't just use words. Oh yeah, I love, I love God. I love people. If, if you say it, but you don't live it out, then there's an inconsistency there. There's hypocrisy that's happening. We are liars if we do that. 
Love is more than words. Loving God demands that we love people. You can't have one without the other. What are the first, the, the greatest commandments? Love God and then love your neighbor. And they go together. You can't separate them. Vertical love cannot be separated from horizontal love. How many know that it's easier to love God than to love God's family? Okay, don't point at anyone, please. It's true, though. And sometimes it's easier because, yeah, it's easier to love someone you can see. They're within reach. But it's also easier to love someone who's perfect, right? And, uh, and, and in this journey, we get surrounding. When, it, when the disciples were called to follow Jesus, they thought they were signing up for one-on-one uh, -on -one tutoring. And all of a sudden, they found themselves in a cohort of misfits and uh, with different political ideologies and different different lifestyles. And, 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 and they're, you know, saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to God's family as well. And that's what John is drilling down on here. He's saying, hey, since you know God's love, you need to start reflecting it to the people that are around you. And I, I want to challenge you and I want myself, I, I want to be challenged myself. Love, loving God's family is not optional. And so we need to find ways where we are connected enough to God's family so that we can practically love God's family. You know, it's easy to practice faith in a very individualized, private way. But if we don't find ways to create some intersections, some overlap with others, be it in a connect group, be it by serving on, on Team Emmanuel, be it by, by coming and worshiping in presence, Then, then we're stuck in theory. We're doing great on the vertical, but we're not doing great on the horizontal. And sometimes the friction that we have in the horizontal is actually growth pains. It's God working and perfecting his love in us so that we can learn how to be patient, learn how to offer grace, learn to do all the things that we've learned from him. Amen? We're going to read 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's go. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Some great content there. One of the things that it really emphasizes is our relationship with God. There's, uh, throughout this, this uh, book of 1 John, many times calls us de uh, dear children, dear friends. And it talks about the Father. It really kind of frames the church as a family. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, my family, the Grahams, we made a little trip out to Chicago And uh, love Chicago, love the Windy City. Uh, there was no snow there. That was kind of nice. It was cold still. But the reason we went out is because we wanted to get a picture by the bean, and you need to do that. If you're in uh, Chicago, you need to get a picture by, by the bean, or I don't believe that you've been in Chicago, okay? And uh, we also got to visit, uh, walk through on Michigan Avenue, and we saw for the first time ever the river died green for St. Patrick's Day. That was kind of crazy. I was, I was praying for the fish. Uh, but... <laughs> There were none floating, so I think it might be some harmless dye that they put in there. And, uh, and uh, the reason we went was because we, over the past year, have worked on citizenship, dual citizenship for my kids, uh, so that they can become 
Argentine citizens through uh, their mom. So they keep their American citizen. They were born here in, in Anoka and in Fridley. And, uh, and then they can also have the benefit of having these two citizenships. The whole process was just tedious, long. And uh, we had to send all kinds of documents. We had to send birth certificates with apostilles. We had to send mom's birth certificate. They didn't believe that it was, uh, that it was real. They thought it was forged. So then we had to go uh, reach out to Argentina and get them to scan something and send some proof there. And it just took over a year of trying to prove our relationship so that they could access this benefit. So with this benefit, um, they can, if they ever want to go and stay beyond three months, then they don't have to go in as tourists. They can stay, they can do a gap year, they can do whatever they want. And, uh, and, and that's great. Now they can pay taxes in two countries. No, I'm just, <laughs> but, um, uh, the, the, the main theme of this whole thing is that improving that relationship and that identity as our children, they were able to access that benefit. Let me, I can't end the story without saying we were at the consulate half a, way, half a block away from the Nutella store, so we had to go and celebrate. And some of you are, some of you are getting hungry right now, so let's get that picture uh, off the screen right now. But it works the same way. God's blessings for our lives come through our relationship with him our kinship, our fellowship with him, our sonship, our daughtership is what gives us access to God's blessings. And, and what, what John is, is emphasizing here, he's saying, hey, you're part of God's family. You are his children. And because of who you are in him, that determines how you live. Who we are determines how we live. Because we have God's DNA, we've got his seed, we've got his... his uh, divine genes, as he's transformed our lives and made us new, we now live in the way that he lived. We live reflecting his values, his heart, his DNA markers in us. We don't sin because his nature remains in us. We love because he loves. We live godly and consistent lives because that's what our heavenly fathers taught us. We're overcomers as well. And this is all in that text. We overcome because of our relationship with Jesus, with God the Father. How many say amen to that? So today, be reminded that you are a son, you are a daughter of God, and that identity impacts how we do life. Amen? I'm going to read another section here, and this one is this kind of responds to some of the different heresies and theories that were going on in the days of John, where they were questioning if Jesus actually uh, came in the flesh, if it was really accurate, if it was literal or not. So John's going to, he's going to kind of refute some of those thoughts. Let's read 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 through 12. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. And those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. 
He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. That's good, isn't it? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have eternal life. Baptism, crucifixion, the Spirit's witness, God himself opening up the heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. All these different events prove that Christ is who he claimed he was. And John is saying, hey, we know, we experienced it, we saw it. Then it says in 1 John chapter 5, 13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are confident, everyone say confidence, that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make a request, we also know that he gives us what we ask for. We're confident that he hears us, and we know that he not only hears, but he also responds to prayer. There's something powerful about prayer. It's about, it's about coming to God and expressing the challenges, the barriers, the difficulties that we're facing, and we're saying, God, I, I ask you to step in and do what only you can do. Now, when we pray with that confidence, believing him, knowing that he's listening, and then we pray calibrated or aligned with the values of God, we can have the certainty that God answers and he will give us whatever we request. That's why my daughter doesn't have a pony yet. It doesn't line up with my values yet. She's pretty persuasive though. James 4, uh, second half of verse 2 and 3 says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want, you want only what will give you pleasure. Sometimes we don't see answers to prayers. We don't see miracles. We don't, we don't take the time to ask. And sometimes we ask, but we ask with the wrong motives. If we learn how to ask and how to line up our prayers with God's values, we will begin to see miracles day after day after day in our lives. Amen. Got a stack of prayer requests uh, that have been turned in from you, and we pray for these throughout the week. We've got different moments, prayer opportunities where we're gathering uh, Tuesday morning, 7 to 9 a.m. We gather on Thursday from, from noon to 1, and we pray, and we lift up these requests. We stand with you in prayer and belief and ask God to step in and say, God, Lord, we ask for healing. We pray for provision. We pray for reconciliation. We pray for wisdom and decisions. We pray for all kinds of things. And we have the confidence that God hears our prayers. And we have the confidence that he also answers in his time when it is lined up with his purposes. How many say amen to that? Amen. I want to encourage you, even right now, if you're carrying a load, you're carrying a burden, you're carrying something, you need God to step into something, there's one of these cards in the seat back right in front of you. And I'd encourage you, if you want to, if you want to just even as I'm talking, Grab that, start scribbling down an area where you need God to show up. I want to encourage you to do that, and we'll be praying with you. We're going to stand with you and believe that God's going to answer. Amen? Amen. Romans 8.32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If God was not stingy and he gave his own son, won't he also answer with miracles and whatever we're facing? Amen? Amen. Let's read 1 John chapter 5, 16 through 21. 
If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So that's a powerful passage. And uh, hey, congratulations. We've completed First John, all right? But I want to I park on some of the thoughts that it brings up here. It talks about sins, and some sins lead to death, and others don't, and pray for the people that are... So are we supposed to like have a category, or like a litmus test, or like a breathalyzer, uh, and just go around the lobby and greet people and say, hey, uh, can you tell me about your sins, or what kind of sins do you practice? Uh, it's not what he's aiming for here. What he's saying is, you know, there's, there is an attitude towards Christ that will make sin deadly in the end. All sin is missing the mark. It's breaking the values, the commandments, the boundaries, the, 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 the principles that God has given us. Every sin. You know, you can miss the bullseye by a mile or by an inch, but you miss the bullseye. Okay. And uh, this is in relationships, it's in actions, it's in thoughts, it's in, you know, sometimes we're like, well, no, this is so, it's inside my head, so it doesn't hurt anyone. No, Jesus said, what happens in your heart, what happens in your head, it's also breaking the principle and the values that God has set for us. So as we look at sin, we allow God to be the one to help give clarity on that. We're always going to look for loopholes and excuses, and, uh, and outsource blame, and all that good stuff, but God is saying, you know what, how, how, do, we, how do we address sin? How do we, how do we interact with sin? How do, we, how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with sin in others, and then how do we deal with sin in ourselves? Just to summarize that distinction as you study that passage a little further, really what he's saying is, if you have rejected Christ, then the, the inevitable effect of sin in your life is it's going to be death, an eternal death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If sin is the poison that leads to death, Jesus is the antidote that leads to life. Now, if you're infected with sin and you reject the antidote, guess what's going to happen? That sin is going to continue to poison and it's going to continue to lead to death. Now, when God talks about sin, he doesn't do it with uh, the intention of shooting us down or kicking us when we've tripped. He does it with that same love that we talked about at the beginning, with the intention of not leaving us in that condition, but picking us up and setting us on a path that is, that is healthy, that is whole, a path that, that is in harmony with him and with others as well. How do we react to sin in others when we see someone else sinning? You know, it's so easy to, it's so easy to pick up on other sin, right? Sin is like bad breath, 
we're like the last ones to know. It's like cilantro in our teeth. We don't know. We just think we've been like wearing it all day long, smiling at people, right? Sometimes we're aware and we'll like smile like this, right? And uh, we won't deal with it. We'll just cover it up. But it's so easy to pick out sin in others, right? We're so good. We're like, God, if you ever need help detecting sin in others, sign me up. Is there a team Emmanuel position for detecting sin in others? I've got a gift for that, right? And I love what, what actually what Jesus says about how we deal with sin in others. This is, this is really important for us. So let's read Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Love the, uh, the sense of humor that Jesus has right here where he's, he's uh, almost exaggerating this. Like he's like, you're so good at detecting the little specks and slivers in the eyes of others, but then you're not great at, uh, at finding the things in your own eye that's distorting and obstructing your own perspective. The more obsessed we get with looking at others' mistakes, the bigger blind spots will develop in our own life in our own journey. And, and what John is saying here, the first response to sin in others is to pray for them. Not to say, you know what? If I had bet money, I would have won because I knew they were going to fail. I knew that they were going to, that they were going to be, that they were going to mess up. I want to actually leverage some of the example. Whoops. Hey, good catch there. McKenna. Can we get up for McKenna? She is helping us out today. I've got a very handy uh, log with a handle that I found in my backyard, right? How convenient could that be? So Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're so focused on, on looking at the sins in others, but you're ignoring the fact that you wear a log. And, you, and, you're, and this is preventing you from seeing correctly. And you got a distortion. You're like, wait. There's a speck. You got something in your eye. Let me help you out with that. Trust me. I'm good at this. I can, I'm, I'm really good at finding specks. Just let, give me a moment. If you don't give me a moment, you're going to go to hell forever. How many know that this is just, this is Jesus being amazing and uh, like making a point, right? But how many know that we need to let go of the magnifying glass of judgment, right? We need to let go of judgment and we need to start picking up a mirror, right? And saying, God, help me deal with this lock. That is, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Help me deal with the things in my own life first, God, before I point fingers, before I cast stones, before I get comfortable with my log with a handle. Help me deal with this. And Jesus, if there's an area of my life that you need to shine your light on and show me. Ooh. 
Amazon for the win right there. But sometimes we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I prefer the conviction without that much HD, without, you know, let's stay at the little blurrier conviction. And God's like, no, I actually, no, wait, wait, Lord, wait, I, you know, let's just keep, can we keep it dim? Can we keep it a little more generalized? I'm not, you know, the whole specific things. It's just, and he's like, no, I want to actually, I want to deal with the things in your life because they're holding you back. They're keeping you from living the full potential, the full freedom, the full purpose, the grace that I have, the joy that I have from you. And as I shine into those spots and bring conviction, it's not to condemn you or kick you. It's actually because it's time for you to be free from that. I'm bringing it up so that you can be free. How many say thank you, Jesus, for your grace? Amen. And John says, you know what? As the family of God, as believers, we don't practice him. We don't make it a sport. We don't make it a habit. Sin, if you look at the whole book of John, he's like, if anyone says they don't have sin, then they are a liar. And if anyone has sin, if anyone has committed sin, then we have Jesus Christ that can advocate for us. His blood cleanses us from all sin. There's this whole theme throughout the whole book. If you could sum it up, the principle uh, that John is teaching, there's a difference between committing and practicing. In the life of a believer, someone who's part of God's family, whose nature has been changed, we don't practice. Sin is an accident, not a habit. But it's so easy to allow these moments where we get tripped up to turn into daily habits for us. Today's a day where God wants to make us free from that, break that habit, and pick us up and bring forgiveness and restore purity and make us whole again. How many say amen to that? We need to keep our relationship with Jesus current and we need to keep Jesus at the center. The last verse says, dear, ch dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? I'd ask you to just for an instant close your eyes and open your hearts. Before we move on in the service, I, I want to give an opportunity to anyone who is far from God today and you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You need him to forgive you for your mistakes, for your shortcomings, for your sin, and you need him to make you new. And you want to turn away from that way of doing life and you want to turn to him and make this a new beginning. If that's you, you're far from God. You want to turn away from sin. You want to turn to Jesus. Say, can you just raise your hand where you're at? I want to pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Can we do this? Can we pray together? Repeat this prayer with me, church. If you could follow along, make this prayer your own. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you died on the cross for me. You sacrificed your life for mine so I could find freedom today. And I turn away from my sin. I turn to you and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. You died and were raised from the grave and you're alive today. 
and you're within reach. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.